So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Wake Up Heavy, the world's greatest horror movie podcast. Hello and welcome to Wake Up Heavy Recollections of Horror. This is Mark Begley, your host. And today on the Spotlight on Stephen King series, I will be discussing the Bachman books. Between 1977 and 1984, Stephen King published five novels under the pseudonym Richard Bachman. Though many fans and critics surmised that Bachman was in fact King, he would deny this when asked. The truth wasn't uncovered until Washington, D.C. bookstore clerk Steve Brown noticed similarities to King's writing and did some investigating. He found copyright information for one of the Bachman books in King's name at the Library of Congress, and I am not sure when that happened or which book. It's not stated in the Bachman book introduction or on Wikipedia. Probably, I'm assuming, around the time of Thinner. Brown went to King's publishers to ask what he should do with the information, and King himself called and told him he should write an article about it, and he offered up an interview to Brown. I mentioned early on, either in the introductory episode or on the first full episode, 74 to 79, in regard to Carrie, I think I mentioned that there had been four or five novels already written and that Carey was the first one published, at least under King's name. And a couple of these Bachman books were in that group of four or five novels that preceded Carey. And the earliest example is Rage, which was originally titled Getting It On. And that was begun in 1966 when King was still in high school. And then he kind of set it aside and began work on The Long Walk. From my understanding, actually finished that book first, and then went back, found the manuscript for getting it on, and finished that one. Uh, those books were published in 1977 and 1979, respectively. And one of the other ones was a novel titled Blaze that ended up not being published until 2007. It was heavily edited and rewritten by 
King, but it was published under the Bachman name, and this is one of the later Bachman books that I have never read. In the introduction to the Bachman books, King says that a couple of the stories were decent, uh, one was okay, and one or two others were just awful, and I'm assuming those are the ones that have still yet to see the light of day. The third Bachman book, Roadwork, was written in response to the death of King's mother in 1974 from cancer. The book was written either around the same time or shortly after The Shining, and it was published in 1981. The Running Man, which King states was written in a frenzy in less than a week, was published in 1982 and Thinner was published in 1984. King has stated that the main reason for using a pseudonym was the simple fact that his publishers didn't want to oversaturate the market with his books. I guess the idea being that they don't want King books competing with other King books, which makes sense. But I don't know how long they held on to that stance since... As I've mentioned in past episodes, there are a number of years, especially in the 80s, where there is more than one King book published. Now, they may be novels and short story collections or something like The Cycle of the Werewolf and a novel, etc. But I don't think they worried too much about that as the years went on. But back in the early 70s, I'm assuming that was more of a concern. King also used Bachman as an experiment to see if his book sales were driven by quality or simply simply because of the Stephen King name. And this experiment has always seemed flawed to me. I, I mean, I even think I recognized this back in the mid-80s when I first read the Bachman books. He kind of stacked the deck against Bachman, which led to a self-fulfilling prophecy. Bachman sold less than King. So King wanted these published without fanfare, without a lot of publicity, and whether the books got reviewed or not wasn't really up to him, but they were published as paperback originals. In other words, they had no hardcover edition and were the kind of books that ended up on racks in supermarkets and hardware stores and things like that. Obviously, they were in bookstores as well, but they just would have been out on the shelves, not in a standalone rack announcing the book. So this always made me think, well, how could they possibly have done as well as a Stephen King book with no publicity or fanfare? I guess the idea was to see how this worked over a number of years and whether Bachman could gain an audience on his own without that name recognition. Still seems like a flawed idea to me, but it became a moot point anyway once King was outed as Bachman. Thinner, the fifth of the Bachman books, was published as a hardcover edition and sold 28,000 copies, which King notes was more than Night Shift's initial hardcover sales. So there was some momentum there. But once the news broke and 
Thinner was released as a Stephen King book. It sold 280,000 copies. Some people think that King used the pseudonym as a way to get away from the horror label, which he denies, and I can buy into that. A couple of these were written pre-carry, so there was no label there yet to run away from. He had already kind of uh, taken divergent paths with The Stand and even The Dead Zone, a Firestarter, you could say. There was always some terror and suspense in the books, but they weren't necessarily strictly horror. And then, of course, he moved even further from that with The Dark Tower. And so I don't dispute that claim of his. We don't really see any horror in the Bachman books until Thinner. I'm using the term the Bachman books for these first five that were published before he was outed. There have been a couple since Blaze, which I already mentioned, and The Regulators, which I have not read. And Misery was to be a Bachman book as well, which I think I mentioned on the last episode. Or not the last episode, the 84 to 89 episode, not the extras episode, to be clear. So just to clarify, hopefully, there are the Bachman books, and those are the books written by Stephen King and published under that pseudonym either prior to 1985 or after, in the case of The Regulators and Blaze. And then there is the Bachman books, the omnibus that collected the first four novels, which had gone mostly out of print by then. Maybe The Running Man was still available in places, but it would collect those first four in hardcover for the first time. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was released as both a hardcover and as a trade paperback at the same time. And even though I was in the habit of buying King hardcovers at this point, I opted for the cheaper trade paperback, and I have a feeling that was mainly due to being something of a cheapskate my whole life. Although, I think, in fact, I was attracted to the foil embossed cover of the trade paperback, and that is something that extended into my later life when I had a foil stamp and letterpress publishing company a few years back called Letterpressed. Uh, So that may have been a more aesthetic reason for getting that one because the cover was basically just a bunch of text and that is a book that I have lost along the way I am fairly certain that I gave it to my brother-in-law in that time in the 90s when I dumped off all my hardcovers I know I kept my paperbacks because I found them all in my trunk a couple years back and those are uh, I lent out to my niece And so I just have a feeling that it fell apart due to multiple readings and being an oversized trade paperback book. A couple of years ago, when that Stephen King itch crept back up, I bought a mass market paperback. Always a cheapskate, folks. So I have made a big deal about this book being a big deal to me back then, and there's a very simple reason for that. In 1985... I was knee-deep in King obsession and had most likely read everything up to that point, a few of them multiple times. 
And so the news of this meant that all of a sudden there were five new Stephen King books to read all at once. And that was it. That was that simple. There was a glut of King material to get my grubby hands on. So big deal, right? Five new books from a popular fiction writer. I don't know what to compare it to for other people. But if you have a favorite writer or musician or filmmaker or even actor, and all of a sudden there are five new pieces of art from that person, and now you get them all at once. You know, five new Beatles albums have been discovered in the vaults. And in 1985, probably the last book that I had read by King was The Talisman, which had made a pretty big impression on me. And so I was clamoring for more. And in lieu of going back and rereading stuff, there's new material. Sign me up. And this brings up something that I think about a lot. I may have mentioned it on an episode or uh, two in the past. It's something that my friend Ronnie and I talk about. But how, I don't know how sometimes this information got to me. Especially when it came to Stephen King books, there I wasn't subscribing to Publishers Weekly. I guess it's from the local paper. I don't know. From the Arts and Entertainment section. It could very well be that I walked into the bookstore in the mall, and I can't remember now if it was a Borders or if it was a Barnes & Noble. And I think there were both at different times, and maybe one replaced the other at some point. But anyway, whatever was in our mall, it could have just been walking in and seeing this striking black cover with the foil printing, the silver and bronze foil printing, splashed across the cover was, you know, four early novels by Stephen King in big letters, and thinking, holy shit, what is this? I don't know. I don't know how I found out about it. I don't know how I found out about a lot of stuff back then, pre-internet, that's kind of ruined everybody's brains. But it was there, and it was late 1985. The book came out in October. It could have very well been a Christmas present again, since December was just a couple months down the road. Who knows? So I got it, not knowing anything about what the stories entailed, and read it with great interest. And I'm just assuming that the Stephen King version of Thinner was released around the same time. Maybe it was released before. That's what broke the story. It was still in print, and they obviously changed the cover to from Richard Bachman to Stephen King. Then maybe the Bachman books came out later? I don't know. If you know, let me know. Uh, I don't recall exactly how that went, but I had both. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's get into the stories. As I have mentioned, Rage was written when King was still in his teens and I think finished up when he was probably 20 
It was published in 1977, the same year as The Shining, and I I think if you compared the maturity level of the writing, you would see how much King had grown by the time The Shining was published. It's not a bad book at all. I enjoy it quite a bit. It is a bit controversial, which we'll get into, uh, but it's obviously written by a novice writer. And since we don't have movies for most of these to talk about, I'm going to read the backs of the original paperbacks, which I was luckily able to find online since I don't have access to that. If nothing else, I would have read the little blurbs on the back of the mass market paperback omnibus that I have. But here we go. The sly voices in his mind whispered their terrible warnings, telling Charlie exactly what he had to do. And one by one, the students filed into the room, laughing, talking, never suspecting that today's class would be like no other. For today, Charlie would lead them in his savagely dangerous game of show-and-tell, and all their secrets would explode into a nightmare of violence and terror. Rage, a powerfully charged novel that explores the darker ranges of the mind and the horror of sadistic manipulation. Just from that description, you kind of get an idea of what we're talking about here and why it would be controversial, especially in this day and age. And this brings something up that happened to me the other day. I I woke up on Sunday morning and decided to make my wife and I some strong coffee in our Chemex, our Rosemary's Baby coffee maker, as I like to call it, or me and my friend Ronnie like to call it and sat down to read some Dance Macabre, which is a book that I recently bought that I had not read when I was younger that I am enjoying quite a bit. It is King talking about horror novels and movies and why we like to read it, why they get made, etc., etc. As I laid down to read, our dog Lola decided to climb up and get on my lap. So I took a little picture of it, posted it on Twitter and Instagram, and wrote, Couldn't be a finer Sunday morning. Lola lounging on me while I drink coffee and read some hashtag Stephen King. So a little while later, some asshole decided to respond with, Stephen King is a moron, but enjoy. And I don't really understand this compulsion in modern society to shit on people's cornflakes for whatever reason. I mean, it's rampant. We all know this. This is part of social media. I don't get it very much. I don't get a lot of response on most of what I post. And so I took a little look at who this person was and noticed that their Twitter handle started with at NRA, etc., etc. I won't read the whole thing. And that explained a lot to me. King is staunchly pro-gun control and has made that clear through the years. That has something to do with this book. It is about an angry young man, a senior in high school, the same as King was when he started writing it, named Charlie Decker, who takes his classroom hostage after killing his teacher and another teacher who intervenes. They play this twisted game of show-and-tell, like the description on the back says. It's, it's a dynamic read. It's something that 
uh, fascinated me, especially at that age. I was actually younger than that, but this was not an experience yet for most high school kids. Uh, this was, you know, an, an anomaly. It almost presages so much of what has happened in the last 20 years. It's kind of eerie. There have obviously always been angry young men who feel this way, but the expression of violence was probably handled in a different way. Whether I'm not going to get into all that, but of course, as happens with these things over the years, there were instances of school violence that could be relayed back to his book, as in the people that perpetrated these things were fans of rage, had copies of rage, uh, told their friends that they read rage, things like that. And so he eventually, King, eventually let the book go out of print, which I fully understand. I also am a firm believer that this type of material doesn't create these people. They are drawn to this type of material because of the way they are. I can read the book and distance myself from those thoughts and ideas and from similar instances that have happened like it. But again, I fully support an artist's decision to pull their own work. It is kind of interesting, though. He has another story called Cain Rose Up that is in Skeleton Crew, I believe, that's similar. It sort of turns into a Charles Whitman type scenario. And as far as I know, that is still in print, but I could be wrong if you know. Otherwise, let me know. And this is the one story that I alluded to would most likely never be made into a movie. I can't imagine that King would sell the rights to a studio or to a filmmaker if he's let the book go out of print. Obviously, if you're interested, you can buy a used copy of the book and read it yourself. The second Richard Bachman book was The Long Walk, which was published in 1979, the same year as The Dead Zone. It's kind of interesting as I look at these paperback originals or the facsimiles of them on, online, it just makes me think. We don't have King's name on it, and this is true of any book that's published, but we still have to have somebody write out this blurb. You know, someone probably getting paid pennies to do this stuff. We've got to acquire artwork. Uh, these are great looking little books. I kind of wish I had stumbled upon one of these. I may very well have picked up one or two just by the covers alone, especially this one. It's a really interesting image. Got a nice red cover. And then this description on the back. The Place, an ultra-conservative, oh God, an ultra-conservative America of the not-too-distant future. Ew. The Event, the country's number one sports contest, a grueling 450-mile marathon walk where a single misstep could be the last. The Competitors, the cream of the nation's youth, 100 red-blooded American boys out to make it to the top, no matter who they trample on to get there. The prize, a fortune in money, fame, and everything the heart desires for the one and only winner. But in a flawless society, there are no losers because the new American government knows how to bury its failures. 
The Long Walk, a novel of chilling, macabre possibility. This story and The Running Man share some superficial similarities. They both take place in dystopian futures with uh, fascist-type governments and feature contests to the death or winner-take-all type events. In The Running Man, which I'll get to, it's more of a reality TV game show. And in this one, it is a winner-take-all type scenario where the last walker standing gets whatever he wants for the rest of his life. Or so they say. As I was reading through the Wikipedia entries on some of these books, it just made me realize that at least two of them take place in Maine. And there are a couple of instances where the dedications in the books were to people that had some relation to Stephen King. So, again, it wouldn't take too much snooping to figure out or assume that this was a pseudonym of King's. And like I said, from the from the get-go when they were first published, people were already asking him if he was Bachman. But he didn't disguise it maybe as well as he could have, I guess is my point. So, The Long Walk is probably my favorite of the Bachman books, including not just of this omnibus, but including Thinner. You know, I was probably around the age of the protagonist. I enjoy uh, dystopian future tales, but to read to read the basic plot, you think, well, how could this be interesting? A uh, bunch of teenagers walking for hundreds of miles. But it works really well with they've got rules they have to follow. Uh, They have to keep a certain pace. They can't go off the road, obviously. If they get infractions, they can work them off. They get warnings. Uh, So many warnings means you're shot and killed. It's a very tense read from start to finish. And I'm really excited about the upcoming adaptation from Andre Overdahl, who did Troll Hunter, which as far as found footage films, which are not my favorite, is pretty interesting. And The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I've talked about a number of times and highly recommend. And uh, Scary... That doesn't sound right. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I have not seen yet, but looks exceptionally creepy, especially for a PG-13 movie directed towards kids based on kids' books, which were... Past my time, I didn't read any of those. I remember seeing the covers. I think my mom had them in her class or my brother-in-law. This should be very interesting, and I think it will actually work as a movie. This is one of the ones, you know, I used to do this. Like I've said, you read these and you think, well, how could they make this into a movie? It's just kids walking and walking and walking. But if anybody can do it, I fully believe that this guy can. And I just happened today to be searching for something to listen to at work And popped over to Postmortem from Mick Garris, who I've discussed on the show before. He does interviews with uh, people in film, mostly horror. And I saw Andre Overdahl's name and I thought, oh, let's listen to that and see if they mention this movie at all. And he does, and I will link to that. And that is a very good podcast. And as much grief as I've given Mick Garris, it sort of encapsulates what I've think about him as a promoter of horror and he is a very genuinely interested interviewer when he when he talks to these people 
So I will link that. And I will also link the one, the episode where he talks to Vincenzo Natali, whose new movie In the Tall Grass is on Netflix right now. And that is a Stephen King slash Joe Hill novella that he adapted. And it is a trippy little number. I quite enjoyed it and I plan on watching it again. So that is always means for a recommendation. Roadwork was the next Bachman book to be published, and it came out the same year as Cujo, and is most definitely my least favorite of all of the Bachman books. I did enjoy it quite a bit more on my recent reread. It's more of an adult novel, and I don't mean that to imply that I think the rest of Stephen King's work is juvenile. I certainly don't maybe appeals to you hear so many or at least I have seen so many people say that they started reading Stephen King in fourth grade or even younger which it surprises me a little bit I could barely handle it when I started in seventh grade or something there is something there that appeals to kids and it probably is just the horror aspect and the fear and and working stuff out because we live in a scary world but this is mainly a drama uh, there is no element of horror in Roadwork at all, but I did enjoy it more. I probably read it two years ago, maybe. Uh, so I was 48, and it made a much bigger impact. And actually, when I was reading Dr. Sleep, the beginning of Dr. Sleep reminded me of sections of Roadwork, and I think it had to do with the protagonists picking up uh, women. I think in Roadwork, uh, the protagonist picks up a hitchhiker in Dr. Sleep. Danny picks up a woman at a bar. And now that I'm thinking about it, it just seems like they were really, really similar. But who knows? Maybe I'm misremembering one or the other. Here is the back of the original mass market paperback for Roadwork. They targeted his life for demolition. That's how George Bart Dawes saw it when a conglomerate bought the company he worked for and made him feel like a number. When the government told him to move out of the home he had put a lifetime of living into to make way for a highway project. When his wife left him because he wouldn't adjust to progress. It seemed to George that his whole world had been invaded by acquisitive demons who expected him to surrender to their will. Calmly, politely, step aside, no waves please. But some very incorruptible voice in George's mind kept reassuring him that sooner or later the irresistible force of progress would come face to face with an, immo an immovable object. This is a fucking mouthful. The will of George Bart Dawes, the impact he suspected would be shattering. Roadwork. Man, who wrote this thing? Boy, there is quite a thread running through all of these books with this, you know, either the government or a big corporation squashing down the little man. Very interesting. What was going on in King's life that he had to, that he felt that way? And even though this isn't my favorite King story or Bachman story for that matter, I will watch the movie when it comes out. And as I mentioned in one of the last couple of episodes, it is uh, being produced by the director of it, Andy Muschietti, and his sister Barbara and is to be directed by Pablo Trapero, who I have never heard of. But hey, if it looks good, I will check it out. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Running Man was published in 1982, the same year as the first entry in the Dark Tower series, as well as different seasons, and the same year that Creepshow came out. Hopefully the description on the back of this one isn't as much of a mouthful as the one for Europe for road work. Here we go. It was the ultimate death game in a nightmare future America. Each night, all Americans, whether they live in the vast, polluted slums or the fortress-like enclaves of the rich, tune in to the nation's favorite TV game show, The Running Man. Each night, they see if the contestant has succeeded in evading death at the hands of the hunters as he tries to survive for 30 days and win the $1 billion jackpot. The record for survival is 8 days. But now, a new contestant, Ben Richards, has set out to beat the brutal odds, beat the rigged game, beat the entire savage system. He's betting his life that he can. This is the book that King says he wrote in less than a week, which always amazes me. Uh, Not that it's a mind-blowing piece of American literature, but it's readable, it's enjoyable. I think in King's case, he has no trouble with structure and grammar and things like that. You know, bad writing isn't a problem with King like it is, say, for Philip K. Dick or something. In one of the later editions of the Bachman books with another or a new introduction, King described writing The Running Man as a book written by a young man who was angry, energetic, and infatuated with the art and the craft of writing. And a lot of times, whether it's books or movies or albums, the things that are done quickly, kind of just spewed out like that, can be some of the most interesting. Now, The Running Man isn't isn't on the top of my Bachman books list, but it's probably my third favorite overall. And it is very different than the Arnold Schwarzenegger-led film. So if that has put you off of reading it, I say ignore the movie. I think you can still pick up the Bachman books as individual novels these days. So check it out. Check your Barnes & Noble or Amazon and grab a copy. I have a sneaking suspicion that a version of this script existed before the Bachman outing happened. And when it did, they purchased the rights to the book, which means they could use the title and King's name to tack on to the film. And this isn't me being cynical. This stuff happens all the time. A lot of the Die Hard and Saw sequels were written as something completely different seen as something that could be shoehorned into those properties, just like the Cloverfield movies, which are a really good and or bad example of that happening. Good in Tin Cloverfield Lane and bad in The Cloverfield Paradox, just in case anybody's wondering. Unlike a lot of adaptations, the differences aren't just superficial. Other than it being a game show and fight-to-the-death, winner-take-all type situation, it is nothing like the story. 
and I'm not going to go through all the differences, but I think that the beginning is interesting to note in that this isn't a punishment in the book. It's a voluntary situation. There are all these different game shows that people can try out for. And The Running Man is the biggie because if you survive, you get a billion dollars. And of course, our protagonist is down on his luck. I think he needs money because his wife is sick or needs an operation and decides to try out for it. The book is definitely grittier. It's a different kind of dystopia. It is not this neon bright TV world set in an arena. Even though the world of the novel is much larger and Ben Richards can travel wherever he wants in the world, it's just a much more intimate portrayal. I always think of Total Recall in reference to The Running Man, big dumb action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger taken from speculative fiction that has a much more dour, grimy, dirty feel. One thing I like about the beginning of the film is that this uh, riot that is happening that Arnold Schwarzenegger is told to break up by shooting into the crowd and and doesn't do it, and that's how he gets set up for this Running Man show. Uh, But the riot takes place in Bakersfield, California, and that is where my parents lived for a number of years, where my parents met and got married. It's where my much older sister was born and where my friends Courtney and Gary live with their family. Yay, Bakersfield! It is basically a big, dumb action movie. I saw it in the theater and was thoroughly disappointed at how far it strayed from the source material. It suffers from Schwarzenegger one-liner-itis, and this had become a thing, obviously, starting with The Terminator, but really hitting with Commando and Predator. I think Predator came out the same year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But they're really particularly bad in this. Give you a lift. He is Sub Zero. Now, Plane Zero. Don't forget to send me a copy. Shame the network. That's right. Shame it up your ass. What happened to Baza? Uh, he had to split. The only other things to note really about the film are that it was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, who people my age will remember as either Starsky or Hutch from Starsky and Hutch. I can't remember. I didn't actually watch that show, but one of the things he's most famous for. And then he had this weird stretch from 1986 to 1997 where he directed five films. The rest of his directing work was mainly TV movies and TV series. And before The Running Man, he did The Band of the Hand, which I vaguely remember. It's like a survivalist slash death wish type scenario if I'm remembering that correctly and then after The Running Man he had this weird stretch of sports movies with The Cutting Edge, The Air Up There and Kazam. It looks like after that he pretty much stuck strictly with TV which was probably for the better and as I mentioned in the Alone in the Dark episode we have the last appearance of Erlen Van Lith as Dynamo. R.I.P. Erland. I can pick anyone I choose. And I choose Ben Richards. That boy's one mean motherfucker. Thinner would be the last of the Bachman books published before King's pseudonym was outed. 
The hardcover edition was published on November 19, 1984, 11 days after The Talisman was published on November 8, 1984. So there you go. Oversaturate that market, man. I discovered a few interesting things while I was looking for the back cover of Thinner, which I shouldn't have to do because I have a copy of that, but it is one of the books that I did not take back from my niece because it was totally falling apart. Uh, I will get that and insert it here at some point, but it led me to Too Much Horror Fiction, which I've mentioned before on the podcast to see if they had a scan of it, and I didn't find that, but it led me to an article on a website called Charnel House, which is all about Stephen King and his books. I don't know who the author is, but I will link that in the show notes. Kind of added some more details that I was not sure about earlier in regards to the uncovering of the Bachman pseudonym, and I guess it was King himself that pushed for Thinner to be published in hardcover first because of some of the momentum built up by The Long Walk, which apparently had gone through three printings, which is pretty amazing for a book that was just dumped and not publicized or released with any kind of fanfare. And the reviews for Thinner were mostly positive, and some even noted that Thinner was what Stephen King would write if Stephen King could write. That was, I think, there's no citation listed, but I'm assuming that was a review of the book. And this is where Steve Brown started his investigation. He had an advanced copy of the book and got a chapter or so in and thought, this is either Stephen King or the world's best imitator. And that led him to the Library of Congress, and he found King's name on the copyright for Rage. So that sort of answers some questions from earlier. All right, I acquired the back of my old copy of Thinner, so let me run through the description for that. Billy Halleck, good husband, loving father, is both beneficiary and victim of the American good life. He has an expensive home, a nice family, and a rewarding career as a lawyer but he is also 50 pounds overweight and, as his doctor keeps reminding him, edging into heart attack country. Then, in a moment of carelessness, Billy sideswipes an old gypsy woman as she is crossing the street, and her ancient father passes a bizarre and terrible judgment on him. Thinner, the old gypsy man whispers and caresses his cheek like a lover. Just one word, but six weeks later and 93 pounds lighter, Billy Halleck is more than worried. He's terrified and desperate enough for one last gamble that will lead him to a nightmare showdown with the forces of evil melting his flesh away. And away and away. Thinner. The movie itself is quite faithful to the book. Of the two movies that have been made from Bachman books so far, it is way closer to the source material material than The Running Man. It's just not that great of a movie, and I don't think I saw this in the theater. It came out in 1996. That was a time when I, I didn't really go see a lot of horror movies in the theater. I know that I rented it fairly soon after it hit VHS, though, and wasn't all that impressed, which is kind of 
unfortunate because the director, Tom Holland, is someone whose work I appreciate a great deal. And I talked about him on the the Beast Within episode of Why Didn't I Rent This? That was the first, very first one. And I mentioned some of his credits then. And I know he's come up in other instances as well. But he is an actor, writer, director. Uh, he does all three of those things to this day. And he's written some of my favorite movies. His first script was for The Initiation of Sarah, which is a pretty fun TV movie. He wrote The Beast Within, Class of 1984, Psycho 2, Scream for Help, which is a nutso film I know I've mentioned before, Fright Night, Child's Play. He directed Fright Night and Child's Play and a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Prior to the Thinner, he directed The Langoliers, which is just one of the most god-awful adaptations of Stephen King to come around. Again, I watched it in one of those really deep Stephen King dives, and it's just absolutely abysmal, mainly for the CGI present in it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the worst. Thinner stars Robert John Burke as Billy Halleck, Lucinda Jenny as Heidi Halleck, his wife, and Bethany Joy Lenz as their daughter. And the last, or not the last time, but a couple times ago when I watched this, I was like, that girl looks really familiar. And so I looked her up and realized that she has been on a number of Hallmark Christmas movies that I have been forced to watch over the last few years. One of them, though, I actually watched and got hooked into and didn't get to see the ending and had to wait <laughs> had to wait until it replayed, which they always do, of course, and had to watch it to figure out what happened at the end. So I'll give them that. And then we have Joe Montaigne, who is basically playing his Fat Tony character from The Simpsons in this. I guess because it's the 90s, we've got Kari Wurr in there as a gypsy girl. And... It just doesn't work for me. Oh, and Robert John Burke, I kept I kept racking my brain as to why he looks so familiar, but he plays Ed Tucker, the internal affairs officer on Special Victims Unit. But the fat suit isn't very convincing in a lot of parts. I think when he's a little bit thinner, it works well. The other special effects are okay. The last time I watched it, and I did watch it a couple weeks ago, knowing that I would be doing the Bachman books, I kept thinking about Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, which I have to admit is not one of my favorite horror movies. Uh, That's a whole other topic. I won't get into that right now. The deal with the gypsies and the curse and it just hit my brain as being very similar. It's just kind of flat and TV movie looking. I don't know. I would never dissuade anyone from watching any Stephen King adaptation. So check it out. It's not top tier. It's not lower level. Uh, I mean, check out the Langoliers if you want, if for nothing else but to see the CGI creatures. I think the idea for the Langoliers is very interesting. It just wasn't pulled off very well. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of the Bachman books. And this went quite a bit longer than I was expecting, but I do have some news and notes to share at the end couple of ideas that I have for future episodes and for things to add to episodes. I was asked by Sam Panico, who was on the Under the Silver Lake episode and a 
secondary one because we talked about other stuff. I was asked by him to submit a top 10 slashers list for his website, B&S, about movies. And I gave him one. I think it's going to come out at the end of October, which I will remind people of at that time. But it just made me think of something I had considered a while back regarding slashers, because I have noted numerous times that they weren't and still really aren't my favorite subgenre of horror film. But I thought I would play off of that since I have watched so many over the last six or so years. And as I was going over my list and looking at slashers, lists from other people, and just lists of quote-unquote best of, so I could refresh my memory on the ones that I liked, it brought that idea back. And I think I will do a little series here, probably after the Stephen King series is done. I don't know if I'm going to do another Stephen King episode or not. It would kind of take the place of the Why Didn't I Rent This Subseries just for a little bit because a lot of those fall into that category. Uh, things like Pieces or Happy Birthday to Me. Uh, some of the other things, I don't want to name all my list. Uh, some of the movies on my list I've actually done episodes on and I, I have a title for it and everything set up. So I think I will start working on that. I think on shorter episodes, I will start including at the end a watch list that coincides with my letterboxed profile, which I think I have linked either on SoundCloud or the blog or both. You can track what I'm watching during the year. I think I'm up to almost 365 movies. They're not all horror movies, but and some of them are rewatches, but I'm still just keeping track of everything for the sheer heck of it or from OCD or whatever. And so I will list off what I've watched and note anything that was particularly of interest to me that I saw. And so that'll get tacked on at the end of shorter episodes, not full length episodes, although I don't have one of those planned for any time soon. So I do have another idea and I have called out on people to supply me with something for this idea, and I'm waiting on a couple people, and I'm going to call them out by name at the end here to remind them that I'm waiting for something from them, and that would be my friends Courtney and Benji, and I know you guys listen to the episode, so you'll hear this. Uh, get in touch. Let me know if you're able to do that. Otherwise, I'll go with the ones that I already have and get that thing rolling. Oh, and I have a programming note, even though I know this becomes obsolete a day or two after this episode will air. The Blood on Satan's Claw is playing on TCM on October 10th at 11 p.m. Pacific time. So I think that's actually then October 11th, 2 a.m. Eastern time. Am I doing that right? <laughs> anyway, I am going to do, I'm recording it for myself. I've watched that movie twice. It is a new discovery for me. It is not a why didn't I rent this because I had never heard about it until a few years back. I love it. It's weird. It's a cult movie. And I'm going to definitely do a new discovery episode on that. So set your DVR and catch it and look for an episode shortly, possibly next week. Oh, and stay tuned at the end here. You can hear some flubs from when I tried to read the back of the roadwork cover. 
All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Wake Up Heavy Recollections of Horror on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc. Have a great day, and don't forget... Anything can happen when you wake up heavy. <laughs> it seemed to George that his whole world had been invaded by... Aqui- it seemed to George that his whole life... It seemed to George that his whole world had been invaded by acquisitive demons. Man, who wrote this thing? That boy's one mean motherfucker. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.